Man, it is good to be with you today. If I don't start talking, y'all won't stop, so I'm going to start. That's all right, though. Man, it is good to be with you today. You know, the old saying is, it's good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. Uh, that's New Testamently, though, that's inaccurate. You are the house of God. We together are the house of God. This is just concrete, brick, sheetrock, and mold in here. Um, <laughs> go mold. Um, no mold? No mold? No, never mind. There's no mold in this room, right? I am not starting off my message with integrity. But uh, welcome to Lifehouse today. Let's welcome our Lifehouse and Your House congregation joining us online. Come on, give it up for them. And if this is your first time here, or maybe it's just your first time in a long time, if you would take that guest connection card that's in the seat pocket in front of you and fill it out, and as you exit the building today, you can give that to our team that'll, that'll be at the front door in exchange for a gift. And there, is there still candy in that? There's still, so if you don't want the candy, obviously I love candy, you can give that to me, I'll be glad to take it, I'll be sending it out there too, you can just hand it over to me and I'll, I'll be glad, I won't even have to tell my wife I got it, so it'll be great. It's a win-win, right? And uh, so thank you. I'm so excited about our youth ministry and our kids ministry and camp and most of all that they won first place. I mean, because, you know... I told my daughters before they left for kids camp, I said, remember what my father always told me and what I'm telling you, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, you win or you don't come home. So um, they took that to heart. And you know, the Jesus thing is great too. And uh, no, you, I hope you know that's a joke. No, it's just incredible to see what God's doing. Uh, we got Back to Life coming up next week, this coming Saturday, actually, at 5 o'clock. And I'm telling you, if you have not registered to be part of that, don't hesitate another moment. Go online right now to lifehouse.info. You can use your phone. I promise I won't call you out for being on your phone in church. Uh, go to, Get on your phone right now. Go register to serve for that. It will, you know, we, we do events like that. We, most people think that we do those kinds of events because we want to bless our community. And that's true. That is what we want to do. But as your pastor, something else that I hope to see happen is that you, be, that you will be blessed by being part of something like that. And so uh, what happens in that process is not only do we get to be a blessing, but I honestly think the greater reward is the blessing that we receive by being part of it. And so get involved with that. Go ahead, sign up today. And speaking of being involved, if you're not part of a serve team, it must be your first Sunday here. That's the only reason I can think of that you're not part of a serve team. And on that same website, lifehouse.info, you can sign up today to be part of a serve team. And people often ask me, they'll be like, you know, what can I do around, what, what can I do? Uh, well, you can sign up to serve, number one. Just serve somewhere. And if you're looking for a place to serve, our media team is open wide up, right, Jeff? Yeah. Our media team, you get to play with computers. You can run the camera and follow me around uh, and have fun with that. You can... Uh, run the soundboard. It's, you know, it's a $4,000 soundboard. How, that's fun, right? I don't even, I don't know. I don't know how much it costs. So don't hold me to that. I didn't mean to lie just then if I did. But get involved in some shape, form, or capacity. There's always babies that need to be held. Uh, that's not really my cup of tea, but it's somebody's. Um, it's Kristen's. Apparently she raised her hand. She loves it. Um, 
I asked her if we could have more kids, and she said no, but I don't get it. <laughs> Go ahead and get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And one other thing that I want to share with you before we jump into the Word today is that Sunday, July 31st, so two Sundays from today, I've got a big announcement for you. And some of you may know what it is. Shh, keep it to yourself. It's a big announcement that we're going to make public on July 31st, two weeks from today. And I will give you a hint. So today, so normally, I don't know how many of you are actually aware of this. Normally, we have started our service times at 10.05. So for those of you who felt like you walked in extra late today, you did. Um, you did. But it wasn't your fault because you didn't know. You were counting on that 10.05 start time, but we tricked you because that's what we like to do. We like to keep you on your toes here at LifeHouse. And uh, so we started at 10 o'clock on the dot. And uh, that's your hint as to what the announcement is on Sunday, July 31st. And I uh, hope you can be here. And even if you're planning to be out of town, cancel that vacation. Who cares? The beach will still be there. It's just sand and yucky water anyway. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching right there. Give me the mountains over the beach any day of the week. Um, and that's gospel truth. So we're in a series called The Beatitudes. And... Um, what, our, what our goal, what my goal is with this series is that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts to help us reflect the statements of Jesus given here in Matthew chapter 5. And it's really just the first few verses of Matthew ch uh, chapter 5 that serves as the preamble, if you will, of the greatest sermon ever preached. And I know some of you are thinking, wow, you, Pastor Drew, I thought you preached the greatest sermon ever preached. And, um, and that's, I mean, maybe second or third or 38,000th, I don't know. But Jesus, I believe, preached the greatest sermon ever preached. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount uh, because it was a sermon where Jesus was on a mountain. That's where we get the name. Very creative sermon titles in the first century. And uh, so today's uh, beatitude that we are covering is uh, coming from cha uh, chapter 5, verse 5. And, and I said this last week, as we are praying that God would transform our hearts, um, I don't think anybody would argue with me about this. We, we need a move of God in our country, right? We need, we need to see the work of the Holy Spirit active in people's lives. But I don't think that we should just pray for revival. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for revival. But I think what should take place before we should really pray for revival is not that God would do work in our country. It's not even that God would do a work in our church or our churches, but that God would first do a work of transformation within me. And that as the Holy Spirit transforms me, that I become an agent of change. And the atmosphere around me begins to change. And as, as that change spills over, then churches are changed. And as churches are changed, communities are changed. And as communities, then it just, it just spills over and spills over. And that's what revival looks like. Revival in one singular location that never escapes that property or that city or that location is great. But that's not what we need. We don't need another Pensacola. We don't need another Azusa Street. We need a move of God that sweeps over our nation and our world. But it begins not at LifeHouse. It begins at your house. And to be very honest with you, 
I think the Beatitudes is a great place to start. It's not a list of rules for us to keep, but it is Jesus giving out these statements that reflect a man or woman that, that, is, uh, that embodies what the kingdom of God looks like. And, and he, he starts each statement with blessed. Blessed is or blessed are. And that word blessed is not the word blessed like we normally would use it in our language. Some would even say a better word to, to put into each one of those would be the word happy. But the problem with the word happy is most of us don't really understand what the word happy, at least in a biblical sense, means. You see, I get, I get happy when I get an unexpected check in the mail, which doesn't happen that often. But when it does, I'm happy about it, right? I get happy when a movie I've been looking forward to gets a release date, you know? But then I get unhappy when I get an unexpected bill in the mail. Can I get a witness in the house today? I get unhappy when that movie release date gets pushed back to 2024. Like, what? You see, the, the way the world understands happiness is it's circumstantial. It's based on happenings. But the way Jesus is communicating happiness here in the Beatitudes is based on an internal happiness that's not controlled by what's around me, but rather it's controlled by who lives in me. And this is... What he says, we'll just read through verse 5 of the Beatitudes here. He says, the word says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That was week one, three weeks ago. I encourage you, if you missed any of these, get online, check them out, listen to them. And then he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That was last week. And for today, he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, once again, we're just so grateful for the opportunity that we have to be in your presence and with your people. And as we take the next few moments, God, and we dive into your word, I pray that you would speak louder than any preacher could speak. I pray that the voice of your spirit would be heard by each and every one of us that it would penetrate our hearts, that it would transform us from the inside out so that we could better reflect the will, the intentions, and the character of God and the way we think and the way we speak and the way we behave. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessed are the meek, Matthew 5, 5, for they will inherit the earth. Let me give you a little inside scoop as to what it feels like to be a preacher. How many of you ever preached a sermon before? Raise your hand. How many of you think that you would like to be a preacher one day? Raise your hand. That's what I thought. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, most of the time when I preach a message, you know, uh, I, I say this a lot. As somebody's walking out the room, they'll say, man, that message was just for me. And I'll respond, and I mean this truthfully. And if you've ever preached before, you probably understand what I'm getting at. I'll say something along the lines of, actually, it was for me, and you just got the fringe benefit of it. You just got the overflow of it. And, and, and often when I look at a topic or, or the Holy Spirit leads me to a scripture and says, okay, this is what I want you to preach on. And just to be honest with you, I wish he spoke that clearly to me about sermons, okay? Usually it's more like, mm, I think Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, 
I think, and then, you know, we go there, and I'm like, okay, I think that was God. I feel like the Lord was in that. And then there have been Sundays, and some of you have been here for them, sorry, uh, where after the message, I thought, nope, 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 nope. That wasn't God. That was me. Shouldn't have had tacos that night. Messed me up. <laughs> messed everything up. But most of the time when I preach a message, I think, you know, this is for me something that God's done in me, and now I want to share it with you. Uh, sometimes I preach a message because, and to be very honest, I think you need to hear it. And I don't, but you do. Very rarely does that happen. Uh, this is a message that if I, I would never preach this message unless I was preaching a series on the Beatitudes. And to be completely transparent with you, I actually ask God, God, can I just skip this one because I don't like it? I don't like this one. First of all, I don't really understand it. I mean, like, what is meekness? If you look it up, you can find definitions. But if you go to another website or look at another book, you're going to get a little bit different of a definition. Nobody has a great definition of what meekness is that I can find. And so I think to help us understand what Jesus is saying for us to be meek. And understand, there's also a promise. The meek will inherit the earth. It's not just him saying, hey, you need to be meek. But blessed are the meek or happy are the meek. For they will inherit. They will be given the earth. They will be given the world. So a lot of times what I do to understand something better is I try to think what the opposite would look like. And so here's the opposite. Sad are those who fight, who manipulate, and who strive for what they want. For they will never truly be satisfied. Sad are those who fight, who scrap, who scrape, who twist the truth sometimes, who manipulate the system, who walk over others, who strive, who stress to get what they think they want because they will never be satisfied because eventually they will get to what they wanted only to look back and realize how much they lost in the process. And they'll be sad because of that. You see, and this, you guys have probably heard this before, meekness, I always thought, you know, meekness is just being quiet. It's being shy. But meekness isn't being quiet. Meekness isn't being shy. Meekness isn't weakness either, right? We've probably associated meekness with weakness. Rather, meekness is strength under control. I like this one that I found. Meekness is humility on display. If humility is a character trait, then meekness is the display of humility. And Jesus, you know, Jesus is a great leader. And a great leader never asked people uh, to do something that he or she won't lead by example in doing, right? And this is, this is what he says in his word. Jesus is meek. He says in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Everybody say that with me. Learn from me. He says, you know, look at me. Look at my example. Watch how I do things. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am meek. I'm not rough and tough. Now, he can be rough and tough when he needs to be. I just need you to understand that, that being meek doesn't mean that you, ha you can't be strong. Being weak doesn't mean that you can't push when you need to push or even fight when you need to fight. 
Because Jesus knew how to braid a whip and he knew how to flip over tables. Can I get a good amen? But he says, learn from me for I am gentle. I am humble in heart. I am meek is what he's saying. And he says, as you learn from me and as you begin to look more like me. And that's what the Beatitudes are. Jesus is saying, if you want to be like me, you've got to act like me. You've got to live like me. And this is what I am. This is who I am. He says, you will find rest. Everybody say that word, rest. Rest. He says, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I was in Bible college before I realized that a yoke is not a yoke that came from an egg. (laughs) I wish I was kidding. The yoke is, is something that oxen were attached to as they plowed fields. And Jesus is saying, hey, there's enough room for two in this yoke. Why don't you come stand beside me? And since I'm stronger, since I'm bigger, since I'm better, I'll carry the load. And as long as you will walk where I walk, as long as you don't try to go this way when I'm going this way, my burden, my yoke will be easy and my burden will be light because I carry the weight. That's how you find rest for your soul. I'm telling you right now, if you are stressed out, if you are exhausted, first of all, I love you and I'm praying for you, but if you are stressed out and you are exhausted, it is because you are going this way when Jesus is going this way. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're in sin. It doesn't mean that, that, that God's mad at you. It means that you need to realign your mind, your heart, and your will with what God is saying instead of what you're saying. It means that you're carrying something that you were never designed to carry. I like this a lot. I actually wrote this one myself. Meekness is resting in God's plan instead of trying to force God's hand. Meekness is resting in God's plan instead of trying to force God's hand. I don't know if this has ever been better illustrated in Scripture than when the children of Israel are standing at the Red Sea as Moses after the ten plagues that struck Egypt. And they're, they're standing at the Red Sea and they're looking at this huge body of water that they have to cross to escape the armies of Egypt that are in hot pursuit. Pharaoh had decided, he said, if they can't be my slaves, then I'm just going to kill them all. And Moses has led them out there. And the people of Israel are actually pretty agitated with Moses. They're pretty upset because they're thinking, listen, we were okay being slaves. Being a slave in Egypt is better than dying here at the, at, on the beach of the Red Sea, on the banks of the Red Sea. And Moses receives this word from God. And, he, and this is what he tells the people as they are stuck, not literally between a rock and a hard place, but literally between a incrossable body of water and an army that is set on killing them. This is what he says to the people in Exodus 14. He says, do not be afraid. Everybody say, do not be afraid. Then he says, stand firm. Say, stand firm. And he says, you will see the deliverance. Everybody say that word, deliverance. Not not the movie, but the scripture here. The deliverance. Don't watch that movie. It's bad. The deliverance of the Lord. 
He says, you'll see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see, remember the Egyptians are here. The Red Sea is here. He says, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. You guys are looking at enemies on this side, and you're looking at enemies on this side. And forgive my language here, but some of you are freaking out. You're living in panic. Instead of peace. Because you're focusing on what you're facing. Instead of the one who's leading you through. He said, the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. I love this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The New Living Translation says there at the end, you just need to be quiet. That's a word from God for somebody today. You need to shut up. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Even though your eyes, even though your ears, and even though your feelings are giving you every good, logical, rational reason to be afraid, you have to fight that natural inclination and start holding on to a supernatural inclination. He says, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Stand firm in what you know to be true, not what you feel in the moment. Stand firm. Stand firm in his word. Stand firm in his promise. Stand firm in the knowledge of how he's been there for you in the past. He will be there for you in the future. And he will be there for you today. He says, see, you will see the deliverance of the Lord. In other words, keep your eyes on God. You know, the, the probably a, a better illustration of that is when Peter gets out of the boat, right? Jesus says, if you want to walk on water, if you want to come to where I am, I believe it's in Matthew 14-ish. It's, it's in the book of Matthew. Go read it. Go read the whole thing. It's good. It's good stuff. He sees Jesus out on the water. He says, if it's really you, Jesus, let me, call me to come out towards you. And, and Jesus says, come on, man, come, come on out. And so Peter starts walking on water. And the word says that as the wind and the waves began to get more fierce, that he took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked at the troubles around him. And then, and only then, did he begin to sink. And Moses is saying, keep your eyes on God. Yeah, it's tempting to start looking at your circumstances, right? It's tempting to start looking at the family situation that you're going through that you don't see how, how this is going to work out good. It's tempting to look at the job situation that you think, and there's no way I'm going to make enough money to provide for me, to provide for my family. It's tempting to look at, we were talking to somebody in our, earlier, it's tempting to look at your home and think, man, this place is just falling apart around us. It's tempting to get so distracted by distractions that you stop focusing on the one who can do something about what you're going through. And then he says, the Lord will fight for you. If you were to go to the nursery, or if you were to go to Tots right now behind this room, and you were to take my youngest daughter, Magnolia, and you were to, let's just say you slapped her in the face. Magnolia would have no, she, she would not fight back against you. But I would kill you. I mean, I don't care who you are, how big you are. I would tear your head off of your neck. I would, I would end you. I would. I would find a stick. I would find a knife. You know, I'm just saying. But here's why. Here, she wouldn't be able to defend herself. 
because she's smaller than you. And a lot of you are trying to fight an enemy that you can't defend yourself against. But, but let me tell you something. You are not your responsibility. You know, I have three daughters. And you know whose responsibility it is to provide for them, to, to protect them? It's, it's, it's my responsibility because I'm their father. I'm, the, I'm their daddy. And if you hurt them, you hurt me, and then I'm going to hurt you, right? Well, well, your father is a perfect father, the word says. Your father is a better father than I could ever hope to be. And, and when you're fighting a situation, at some point, the Lord might just say to you, listen, listen, I, let me handle this. Let me take care of this. And how many of you would much rather see God fight on your behalf than you fight on your behalf? He's a good father. Keep your eyes on him. The Lord will fight for you because you are his responsibility. You know, if I didn't take care of my children, if I didn't feed them, if I didn't clothe them, if I didn't put them, if I didn't have a home for them, if I didn't take care of their needs, I would actually become, I would get in legal trouble. I am legally obligated to my kids. Can I tell you right now, according to John 1:12, that you are a child of God. I want to tell you right now, spiritually, you are legally obligated, or God is legally obligated to take care of you because he's put his name on you. And some of you need to rest in that. And then Moses says, be still. In other words, stop stressing and start resting. And you know, I saw this on Facebook the other day. That, you know, the only really good purpose of Facebook is to read funny stuff. Anything outside of that, I don't care about. But... Somebody posted a meme that said, you know, after watching cartoons as a kid, I really thought quicksand was going to be a bigger problem as an adult. <laughs> Something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And as I was writing this part of the message, I thought, you know, a lot of times when we're going through stuff in our life, you know, we act like we're in quicksand. And the thing about quicksand, I think in real life, as well as in cartoons, the harder you fight it, the quicker you sink. But as soon as you'll throw your hands up in the air and say, I give up, I surrender, and you grab onto that lifeline, and we're talking spiritually here, we're talking about the lifeline of Jesus, we're talking about the lifeline of a good father, that's when you start making positive progress, right? Moses says, be still, be quiet, stop pushing, stop stressing, start resting. Five years ago this week, actually it was, um, it was July 15th, so I guess that was Friday, right? I got the call, the actual real call that led me and my family to Lifehouse Church. And I wish I could look back on that story. Actually, I don't, but sometimes I do. I wish I could look back at that story and be like, oh, God was just, it was just so amazing how God did it. But actually, when I look back at that story, I think, man, that was so frustrating. That was so difficult. That was so unnecessarily hard for me and for the church. But I do look back at it and I say, man, God, you were good because you did so much in me. You did so much in our church. You see, in 2016, I started feeling the call of God on my life to become a senior pastor or to become a lead pastor. Up until that point, I'd served as a youth pastor, worship pastor, associate pastor, do whatever the senior pastor doesn't want to do, pastor. We really need to get one of those around here. <laughs> and so I began looking for, for churches I was 32 years old and, and um, felt like I was ready. And, and truthfully, I felt like the Lord was calling us to it. And he was. He was. He put it in my heart that it was time to make that transition. 
So I started putting out applications and contacting churches and talking to board members and had several great opportunities that made their stuff available to us. But at each one, I, I just had this gnawing feeling in my stomach. And the Lord would say to me, I called you to East Tennessee. I didn't call you to Atlanta. I didn't call you to Charlotte. I certainly didn't call you to Arkansas. God loves me too much for that. Sorry. <laughs> I called you to East Tennessee. I actually had a great job lined up right outside of Atlanta. The pastor calls me one day and he says, all right, everything's in order. I need you to come down. You're going to meet with my board. He was retiring. He wanted to transition out. And it was a great church, healthy church, strong church, big church. And he called me and I said, I said, Pastor, and it, man, this was a hard conversation because I had messed up. I had allowed him to believe something about me that wasn't true, that I was ready to make that transition to where he was. And I told him that day, I said, I'm so sorry to go this far into the process, but the Holy Spirit is tugging on my heart and I can't, I can't go, I can't leave, I can't do that. And as you might imagine, that was not, it didn't get better from there. But he eventually, we, we came to an agreement, he understood, and it was much better that I told him then than versus getting down there and spending some time only to leave in the near future. In February 2017, this church became in need of a pastor. And can I tell you that if I've ever heard the voice of God, now listen, when people say the phrase, God told me, my red flag goes as high in the air as it can, just so you know. I, I just think that people, we need to be very careful when we invoke the name of God, saying, I heard this from God. If it didn't come out of this word and it only came out of your mouth, let's be careful. Let's hold back. I'm not saying you didn't hear from God, but I'm saying let's just be careful that we don't just become all willy-nilly saying God said. But if I've ever heard the Lord speak to me and I knew I had heard from God, I knew that I knew that I knew that God called me to pastor this church in February of 2017. It hadn't even been on my radar because there was a pastor here. Honestly, I'd never been to this church. I had only been to Oak Ridge a couple of times in my whole life before that, but I knew that this is where God had called me. But you see, here's the thing. I couldn't just call the board members and say, hey, God said I'm supposed to be the pastor of Lifehouse. Um, I had to go through the process, the interview process, the, the, whole, the whole thing, and, um, and I did. And after every part of that process, I was just waiting. I was like, okay, this is where it's supposed to be. Let's stop wasting time. Let's just do this thing. And, uh, but God had another plan in mind because, you see, in my heart, some things needed to change before I became a pastor. And not too long after we interviewed, I actually found out that the church was going a different direction. And some of you, this is old news. Some of you have heard this way too many times. Sorry. Some of you, this is brand new. Some of you are hearing it for the first time. But can I tell you that in that moment when I found out the church was going to go a different direction to hire another pastor, that I legitimately had a, a, a crisis of faith in my life. Because how do you go... How, how, how do you go from knowing something as much as you have ever known anything in your entire life?
to finding out that you were completely and totally wrong and still believe that you have a good enough relationship with God to be led by him and to be used by him. One day as I was reading through the Bible, honestly, can I just, can I tell you the real truth? I probably didn't pick up my Bible for about three weeks. I was done. I was messed up. I was in a tough place. Some of you have walked in similar roads before. But as I picked up my word, I just started at Genesis again and began just reading through. And eventually I came to this passage in Exodus where I felt the voice of the Holy Spirit say to me, Stop being afraid. Stand firm. Watch me fight on your behalf. Be still. Trust me. And so I began to do that. My wife and I made the commitment that said, okay, we're going we're gonna to dig our heels in where we are. We're going to do the best we can. We're going to grow in our relationship with God. We're going to grow deeper in our marriage. We're going to work in this ministry. We're going to give everything we've got. And not three days later did Carlos Cole, one of the board members at the time, the one who actually said to me, hey, we're not going to hire you. And can I tell you something funny? I, I, I know, are you guys okay? I'm kind of belaboring this a little bit. This is story time. First of all, let me just give you a piece of advice. Don't give people bad news over lunch. Number one. Second of all, if you take them to a Mexican restaurant and you're going to give them bad news, you've already made up your mind, I'm going to give them bad news at lunch, at least wait till the chips and salsa gets there. It took me two years to eat Mexican food again and enjoy it. That's the truth. Am I lying? No, I'm not lying. <laughs> Carlos sat down with me, and I was just waiting for him to say, hey, come Pastor Lifehouse Church. But he said, hey, buddy, we're going a different direction, as I choked on water as he said that. And I looked at him square in the face. This was not meekness, y'all, but this was truth. In my heart, I knew it was true, but the reality around me, it wasn't true. I looked at him in the face, and I said, you're making a mistake. I'm supposed to be the pastor of that church. To which Carlos then spit out his water. <laughs> and he said, if something crazy happens, can I call you? I said, sure. So on July 15th of 2017, he called me and he said, hey man, crazy happened. And I'm calling you. And um, there's a lot more to that story, obviously. But it wasn't until after, it was literally came from Exodus 14, as I heard the the Holy Spirit say to me, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Keep your eyes on me, not on your circumstances. Let me fight this battle for you. And just be still. And as I made that commitment, that's when I began to see the hand of God move on my behalf. When I stopped striving and I started resting and I started trusting, that's when God started working. You guys with me? Yes. Because meekness is resting in God's plan instead of trying to force his hand. And that's what I had been doing, right? With my conversations, with my attitude, even in my prayers. God, you told me. What the heck? I knew, I'd already, we'd already been looking at houses. That's how confident I was. Why would you do this to me? 
Why would you let this happen to me? Why would you let me go through this? What good is it? What benefit is it? I've already turned down the other job. I can't call the guy back. That's not going to go well. But when I started resting instead of stressing, God started moving. And for many of you, that's the word you need to hear today. You're staying up all night. You're worrying about things you can't control. You're making yourself sick, trying to force things to come to pass. You're thinking about the future. You're worrying about your kids, your family, your job. Jesus says, blessed are those who are meek, who trust me even when they can't see me. Because they will inherit the earth. They will be given much more than they're trying to gain on their own. The rewards of meekness, just real quick, if you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, the rewards of meekness. Number one, supernatural peace. Supernatural peace. Jesus said in John 14, I'm leaving you with the gift. Peace of mind, peace of heart. And the peace that I give you, the world cannot give. Remember, the world wants to offer us circumstantial happiness, right? But just as well as it offers it, it can take it away. But Jesus says, the, world, the peace that I'm giving you is a gift, and the world can't give it. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. And as you move from stressing to resting, you're going to experience supernatural peace because it's not natural. People are going to look at you and they're going to be like, why is this not bothering you more than it is? People are going to, are, they're going to hear you talk and they're going to be like, Shekiah, how is it that you're facing this situation but you seem like everything's going great and you're going to be able to tell them because they're going to see the fruit of the Spirit because meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. They're going to see the fruit of the Spirit beginning to develop in you and through you. And they're going to be like, Nicole, how is it that you were walking through this storm, yet you display a confidence in God that I only wish I could have? And you're going to be able to look at them and say, you can't have it. you got to, you got to stop living in fear. you got to stand firm in who you know, not in what you see. you got to trust in Him. you got to watch God fight on your behalf. And remember, you're a child of God. So you're his responsibility. He, it's his job to take care of you. And then, probably the most important part of that in Exodus 14, be still. Or like the New Living said, in my own words, hush up. Because I don't know about you, but in moments of stress, my mouth gets me in more trouble than anything else. I'll start talking and I'll say things that I can't take back and I'll have to reap the fruit of my words. But when you choose meekness, God gives you supernatural peace. He gives you supernatural perspective. There's a theme here, supernatural, right? Because it's not natural. That's what supernatural means. It means to be above natural, to be above normal. I don't want normal. If this world is normal, dear God, don't give me normal. I want, I want, I want something better. And God says, I'll give you supernatural peace. I'll give you supernatural perspective. Paul says in Colossians, since you have been raised to new life in Christ, 
because, and we all have, if you follow Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you have been raised to new life in Christ. He says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. He doesn't say, focus on the things of this world. Focus on the circumstances around you. He says, no, 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 no. Stop looking down here and start looking up there. Set your sights on the reality of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. In other words, focus on Jesus, right? Look at him. And obviously you understand Jesus isn't right there. But metaphorically, we're saying we're looking up. He says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and I love this, and your real life, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when you start attaining that supernatural peace because you are choosing to stand firm in your faith instead of your feelings, and you are choosing to trust in a God that you can't see despite everything around you that you can see looking like it's going wrong, the Holy Spirit will clothe you with peace that passes understanding. And then as you begin to set your sights and say, God, I don't understand this. And I don't know how, but I know you. So I'm going to look to you. I'm going to trust in you because I belong to you. And just like I take care of my kids, I know you're going to take care of your kids because you're a good father. You're a good dad. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And as you begin to live with that supernatural peace and you begin to see with that supernatural perspective, then you begin to be able to act and move in supernatural power. Paul says in Ephesians to him who is exceedingly abundantly above all that we think, or excuse me, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power, I love this, that works in us. Not around us. Not even for us. But in us. Do you know that everything you need to do everything God's called you to do already resides in you? You just got to call it out. You know, we'll be praying sometimes. We'll say, okay, God, that you would, we'll say things like, would you, that your presence would fall in this place. But can I tell you that if, if you'll begin to see things the way he sees them, you'll begin to understand that wherever you go, that's where his presence is because he lives in you. I don't need God to fall. I need, I'm, he's already here. I just need to, become, I need to become more aware of what he's already doing. Paul said, this power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Supernatural peace. Supernatural perspective and supernatural power. That's the reward of saying, God, I'm going to stop fighting. Now, there, are, there will be times when you need to fight. There will be times when you need to, to do, when you need to act, 
just make sure you've heard the voice of the Lord tell you to do it, to tell you to say it. Because more times than not, God is saying, can you just hush? I got this. And we're just getting in His way. You're just, we're just, we're just, we're just getting in the way of what He's trying to do. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to say it again. Choosing meekness doesn't mean that we, we never fight, that we never push, that we never strive. But it does mean that we know when to be quiet. And we know when to let God just be God. We know when to surrender. Some of y'all laugh at me when I say this because I say it so much, but it's just in my heart. I like to lift hands when I worship. For one, the Bible tells us to do it. So if you don't like doing it, just remember, I didn't tell you to do it. The Bible tells you to do it. So how many of you know that being an adult means that sometimes you do things you don't want to do because you need to do it? Right? So as you grow up in the Lord, as you become mature in the Lord, you stop saying, oh, that's just not my personality, like we do sometimes. And we say, this is what the Word of God says, so I'm going to do it anyway. But I like to do it because this is how my kids walk up to me. In their most helpless, defenseless states when they're young, this is how they walk up to me. And if meekness is anything, it's surrender. It's surrender. I'm waiting on everybody to lift their hands if you hadn't figured it out yet. God, we surrender to you. We surrender to you. Here's my prayer for you today. And I would encourage you if you would now that you know what meekness really is, if your prayer would be, God, I want help me to be more meek. This would be your prayer as well. Number 1, God, give me a tender heart. Give me a tender heart. Help me to be moved by the things that move you. God, give us a tender heart. God, give me a sensitive spirit. That, Lord, when you speak, that, God, I would be able to hear your voice above all the noise and all the chatter around me. God, give me a tender heart. God, give me a sensitive spirit. And number three, God, give me a responsive life. In other words... Lord, that there would always be a yes in my heart to you. That God, when you say move, Lord, I don't have to even ask where. I just start walking. That when you say, when you say jump, God, I don't ask how high. I just start jumping. When you say go, God, I just start going. That Lord, that God, as you give me a tender heart, 
as you give me a sensitive spirit, Lord, that I would live with a yes always in my heart to you. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter when. It doesn't matter what time. It doesn't matter who. God, Lord, if you're asking, if you're prompting, if you're telling, the answer is yes. It's always yes. God, if you're convicting of sin, Lord, the answer is yes. I will lay that down. Yes, God, I will have a responsive life to you in every situation. God, Lord, I want to live a meek life so that I can live with a peace that passes understanding, a, per a perspective that sees higher, greater, and further and got a power, Lord, that's not of myself, but, Lord, that is a product of the Holy Spirit in me and through me and working around me. And, God, I will live a life resting in your plan and your purpose and not a life, God, of trying to force it and trying to make it and pushing, striving, and stressing. In Jesus' name. Lifehouse, if that's your prayer, if that's your heart this morning, if you would say, Holy Spirit, I want to I grow in the fruit of meekness. I got to lay some agenda down, right? I got to lay some opinions down. I got to lay some personality down. Sometimes the things that we call personality and actuality, they're just sin. We say, oh, I'm just, I'm just, that's who I am. That's my type. That's my, that's my Enneagram number, right? No, that's just you being sinful. I'm guilty of that just as much as anybody else is. If your prayer today, well, Holy Spirit, I want to grow in meekness. I want you to come to this altar. Come on now. We're going to believe together. You don't have anywhere better to be than here. We're going to pray together. You've been, you've been setting your own agendas. You've been staying up late. You've been, you know, some people, when they get stressed out, they don't eat. And then some people like me, when they get stressed out, they just eat all the time. Come on, everybody, if you'll move this way, if you guys will just move in that direction. I just believe that you say, why, why, why come to the altar? Why can't I just do this in my seat? Well, you can. You can. You absolutely can. But you see, you are body, soul, and spirit. And in order for God to do something in here, sometimes i got to do something out here. And sometimes it's just as simple as saying, you know what? I'm just going to make a move. As he begins to move in here, I'm going to move out there. Is there anybody else who would say, Jesus, I want to grow in the fruit of the spirit of meekness today? Anybody else? As Don leads his church, I want to encourage you, as long as your shoulders will allow it, that you would lift up hands, as the word says, without wrath and doubting. You see, this is how we fight our battles, with our hands in the air, not our fists balled up. That's how the world fights its battles. But we fight through surrender. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in our hearts, God. God, that you would give us a tender heart. 
God, that we would be moved by the things that move you. God, that you would give us a sensitive spirit, Lord, the ability to hear your voice above all of the noise, above all of the racket, above all of the problems. And God, that you would help us to have a yes in our hearts, God, a responsive life to your way, to your will, to your plan, to your purpose in every situation, in every season, in every set of circumstances, God, that in all things, Lord, whatever it is, God, the answer to you is always yes, a tender heart, a sensitive spirit, and a responsive life. Come on, church, let's pray. Let's worship. Let's allow the Lord to do what only he can do. Go ahead, Don. Lead us, buddy.